a series on the book of Philippians. Now, if you're visiting with us um, and you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the rack in front of you. Uh, you can grab that Bible. Um, probably the best bet is to go to the uh, go to the table of contents at the beginning, find the book of Philippians. There are a couple books that start with that PH sound, um, the F sound, uh, Philippians, uh, Philemon. Um, Philemon is really little, so you'll miss it, uh, but uh, Philippians is there. It's in the New Testament. It's about this far through. So if you can see it, uh, just a few pages to, away from the end. Um, and we are, we're dealing with this. This is a letter written to a church under pressure, written by a guy under pressure. Um, really, uh, the Apostle Paul, the author of this book, he is getting to the end of his life. He has had a very full life, a very difficult life. He is imprisoned in Rome. Um, he is awaiting trial. Uh, it, this is possibly one of the last things that he writes. We know that he wrote uh, the book of Second Timothy is probably the last one he writes. But um, but this is toward the end of his life. He's had a full life. Uh, Paul is a, an interesting character. He um, he starts life as a, a Jew, a Roman citizen who was also Jewish, which was a rare thing at the time. Um, so probably he's not a full-blooded. Palestinian Jew. His mother was probably Jewish. His father was probably uh, um, Roman in some way. Uh, but he's Jewish. If you don't know Jewish uh, Judaism, the, the, the right to be a Jew passes through your mother. All right? so, so it's a maternal thing. Um, but uh, he's an interesting guy. He's educated at one of the top, top schools of his day, the school of Gamaliel. Um, and uh, he is a, a, an extremely good uh, uh, expositor of the scriptures. He looks back at the Hebrew scriptures. He sees all kinds of things. He's also an exceptional speaker, a great writer. He's very, very literate. His Greek is is, is very refined, very well used. Um, he's a very intelligent person. Um, but most importantly, he is the instrument God uses to take um, the church, take Christianity from being kind of a little Jewish thing to a worldwide faith. Um, he is the one that God uses to reveal that the message of Jesus Christ was not just to the Jews, but to all nations. The word Gentile means nation. The Hebrew word is goyim, um, those who are not Jewish. Um, and he, he has done this in this city, city called Philippi. We, we abbreviated Philippi. It's actually a Roman colony. Um, and uh, that means that the citizens are not necessarily Roman citizens, and there's a Roman garrison there, a large Roman um, uh, unit stationed there to kind of fend off the bad guys. Um, we think the city is relatively large at the time. The church, we're not sure how big it was or anything like that, but here is the Apostle Paul, and he opened in chapter 1 of the book of Philippians, the very first verses, he talks about prayer. How do we pray for one another? We shared that last week. This week we're going to begin in chapter 1 and verse 12. And uh, again, I apologize. I'm reading from my, from my study Bible. This is a, what we call a journal series, which means that um, I, I don't really have a lot of uh, plans for how long this is going to take. We're just going through the scriptures and we're studying it together. Um, but, uh, and so um, I'm using my personal study Bible. So it might sound a little different from the Pew Bibles, um, but uh, the same, same thoughts because different translations. But um, 1 Corinthians, or, uh, Philippians chapter 1 and verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. 
And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Father, as we look to the Word, as we we look to this written Word, which points us to the living Word, Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that we would hear what the Apostle Paul has to say about the greatness and goodness and immensity of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus. Lord, that we would hear what you had Paul say. That we would not hear human words. That we would not hear um, what I think. But God, that we would hear through all of the, the tumult and, and noise and void that we would hear your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Apostle Paul says this, and, and this is fascinating. He says, everything that happened to me has served to advance the gospel. Now, now the word advance here, it means, um, it, it's kind of the, the, the idea of something profiting or increasing. And, and you know, there's, there's sometimes a mentality in churches, there's a, a thought that um, basically there's this thing called the gospel, and it's a pretty static thing. It just, it just is. Um, kind of like a, a, a stick of butter, okay? A little pat of butter. You take a pat of butter and you spread it over a bagel. How many of you like butter on your bagels? Anybody? Ah, I, see, I'm a big butter person. Cream cheese grosses me out, but, but, um, but uh, oh, come on, the Yiddish word for it, schmear. There's something wrong with anything called that. Um, but, uh, but the, uh, you know, we, we, I, like to, I like to take my butter and I like to spread it out over my, my thing, but nothing drives me more nuts than when I get a bagel from Dunkin' Donuts or, well, there are things that drive me more nuts, but I get a bagel from Dunkin' Donuts or, or, or one of those places and they give me one tiny little pat of butter for my bagel. And that's not nearly enough, man. I need cholesterol. It's what keeps my veins lubricated. I need this. And they give me this little bit of butter and I got to try to spread that little bit of butter all over this entire bagel, both sides, toasted, it's warm, it's melting as I'm doing it. And it's always unsatisfying. Now you have to understand that if I'm driving a car and I get a bagel, it's not uncommon for me to just take a bunch of pats of butter and stick them in the middle of the bagel and eat it as a sandwich. I really, really like, really like butter on my bagels. All right, so um, they give me a little bit. Well, a lot of people think of the gospel kind of as that little pat of butter. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a finite static thing. And basically what happens is we've got to take that gospel and kind of spread it out as much as we can. But the more you spread something that is limited, the more that you, you take that and you spread it out, the less, uh, the less depth it has, the less thickness it has, the less body it has, the less taste it has, the less savor it has. And it, it gets so spread out that it essentially might as well not be there. And when you think of the good news of Jesus Christ as if it is just a couple of, of little ideas that, that you, you just kind of throw out there to everybody, it's just kind of a, uh, we just affirm this idea and, it's, and it's, this is a good thing. We, we've narrowed it down so much that it has no effectiveness. 
Now what the Apostle Paul says about the gospel is he says that these things have happened for the advance of the gospel, for the profit of the gospel, for the increase of the gospel. And he uses a term that very definitely talks about the actual expansion of what something is. It gets bigger. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, gets bigger. What does he mean by that? How does that work? The gospel of Jesus Christ is always sufficient for the situation it is introduced into. We don't have to spread the gospel thin. We don't have to stretch the ideas to get them to fit. If God truly is the creator of the universe, if Jesus truly is the savior of the world, if Jesus truly is the master of mankind, then guess what? He anticipated the situations that the gospel will be introduced into and it can expand, grow, profit, advance in that. But the difficulty of that is that sometimes... We, have a, we, we, we don't see the gospel expanding. We see it as a narrow idea. I remember in college, um, in a missions class, watching a video about an African church. Um, and in this African church, these people had converted from Islam. Um, and uh, in their churches, they all walked into their church in a shirt and tie and sang from the congregational hymnal of 18 blah 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 to a pipe organ. Now, okay, that's cool. If you're in the city of an English country, I can see that. Kenya, you know, Mombasa, Nairobi, there's influences. This country didn't speak English. They spoke French and a bunch of other native languages. And some missionary had gone in and said, this is what the gospel is. The gospel is to become a congregational church from the 1850s. So he had hymn books shipped over. He had a pipe organ shipped over. He bought, he had everybody save their money. We're talking about people that make, you know, $50 a year kind of people so they could buy suits and ties and look like English-speaking Western Christians. That's what the gospel was. The gospel was become a shirt and tie Western Christian. The gospel can expand into that environment. Now, I want you to consider on the other side of it, uh, my friend Darren, who pastors in Amherst, uh, he has a group that every year uh, they go to, I can't remember the name of the country, uh, Namibia. Namibia, that's where they go. Every year they send a group over to Namibia, and I have seen videos of the church in Africa, and I would be uncomfortable. They dance down the aisles to give their offering. How many of you would love to do that? <laughs> yes! That would be incredible. Hey, you know, you know, I, I just and they they they're different. Their services run for hours. They start their services in the morning, and sometimes it runs until a bonfire at night. People speaking, sharing, praying. People drifting in and out. How many of you are punctual people? You believe you should be somewhere at a certain time, and if you promise to be there at that certain time, and you're not there, you freak out. Have you ever operated with somebody on African time? Uh, yes, my friend, my friend David uh, is is from Haiti. He uh, and uh, David, his concept of what a clock is is very interesting. It's a suggestion as to what time the day is. You know, David, we'll, you know, we're gonna, um, you know, and he listens to the sermon, so, um, but. Uh, but, uh, and, and some of you know David, uh, but uh, he showed up for church, he would show up for church half an hour late, 
um, routinely. I mean, this was just, just David. Um, he would just, it wasn't, it wasn't, it was just his culture. That's who he was. And I mean, the African culture, the gospel can expand into that. It can advance into that. And the Apostle Paul uses that term invent, uh, that the gospel advances. It doesn't get spread thinner. It becomes bigger as it comes into a different culture, into new, new cultures. And in this case, he says, so it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment for Christ. He says, this, this is fascinating. The gospel that started in Southwest Asia with a, a Jewish, and most people don't realize that Jesus was Asian. He lived in Southwest Asia. He lived in Israel. The, the, he did not live in Europe. He did not wear a bathrobe. He did not have cool, nice, flowing, chicky hair. He was, he was a mid, Middle Eastern guy living in Southwest Asia. And, and he, somehow, this, this thing that started with Jesus had expanded and profited and increased to a point that now the Apostle Paul is sharing the gospel in the imperial guard in the city of rome the capital of the world and the apostle paul just sits back and he goes these things that have happened to me have happened so that the gospel could grow and profit and increase in ways we could have never anticipated now that's a cool idea because if i might be honest with you for a moment we often have a tendency to stall as a church, because we believe, and I'm using church as a capital C, we believe, basically, the gospel has arrived. We have reached the zenith, and now it's just an idea, we just kind of get what we're doing to somebody else. And that's a dangerous idea. Gospel is always expanding and adapting. Now, the core of the gospel, that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died for the sins of the world, was raised again, that we might walk in newness of life and ascended to heaven and is coming again. That does not change. It doesn't adapt. It doesn't alter. It is eternal. But the way that that expands into culture changes. You need, no, you need no other proof than that to read the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you will see how the Gospel could be told in four different contexts and still be solid and accurate and true, but also be different. Not different as in, you know, one talks about Jesus, Jesus Christ, and the other one talks about Bob Christ. All right, not that kind of different, but the, the different perspective, different way of telling the, the gospel story. Now watch what he says, though, here. He says, most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bolder to speak the word without truth. Yeah, people are, there's no more fear. People are able to speak. But what does he say in the next verse? He says, and some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry. The Apostle Paul, beaten, imprisoned, chased out of multiple towns, stoned and left for dead, resurrected by God, all of the stuff that happens in his life, and you can read it in the second half of the book of Acts, this is a guy who has gone through everything you could possibly imagine, whipped with a cat of nine tails, tortured for his faith, now imprisoned, waiting for, for a trial before a, a, a particularly nice guy. You may have heard of him. His name was Nero. Not the greatest advocate of Christianity, kind of a psycho, killed his mom and married his sister and a bunch of stuff the guy did. Um, he's not a great guy. So this is Paul's last hope. Ah, 
Uh, but uh, So this is what he's going through, and he says, all of this has happened that people might preach without fear, but some do it out of envy and rivalry. The latter, he talks about those who do goodwill. He says they do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. And the former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me. And then he says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. This passage of scripture troubles me. Now, it may not trouble you, but it troubles me. Because there is a tension that is existing in the Apostle Paul's words. He is saying that when, when the fear, when there is no fear to speak the gospel, and people are willing to speak, that some will speak out of envy and out of rivalry. And he rejoices in that. How do you rejoice in someone taking the message of Jesus and preaching it out of envy and rivalry, out of the wrong motivations, out of things that Jesus absolutely condemned? You can't read Jesus without him noting several times that the ideas of envy and rivalry are bad ideas. And yet Paul is okay with that. What? Shouldn't Paul be saying, now here is where we open a big can on him. And we beat them mercilessly and we tell them to follow the truth. Here is where we kick these people out of it. And I mean, why, why isn't he being uh, 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 passionate here? And here's the thing, he is. He is. Because if you hear last week, you know that what the Apostle Paul prayed for the church was that they would have love and that it would, be, it would abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. And he said that they would have fruits of righteousness. And he said, to the glory and praise of God. You know, one of my favorite movies in the world, all-time, probably all-time favorite, um, it, well, I have about 20 all-time favorites, but, um, but uh, is a movie called Tombstone. Kurt Russell plays Wyatt Earp. Um, Michael Bine, one of my favorite B-level actors, plays Johnny Ringo. It's a Western, if you can't tell from the names. Um, and Val Kilmer, in the performance of a lifetime, plays Doc Holliday. Now, you guys know the shootout at the OK Corral. You've all heard this story. And if you ever watch the shootout at the OK Corral, the one with Kirk Douglas and... Uh, uh, who plays Wyatt Earp? Um, no, 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 no. Way back in the 50s. Um, it's... Sam, Sam Coburn, did you Google that? <laughs> ah, okay. We watched a shootout of the OK Corral. There is absolutely nothing historical about that movie. Nothing. But in Tombstone, they tried really hard to recreate it. So you get in this Tombstone world, and the thing is, I love this Western because everybody and his cousin's carrying a gun. And they're not carrying little guns. They're carrying big guns. There's guys carrying shotguns. There's a, they, my favorite line, he calls the shotgun a street sweeper. I was like, that is the greatest name ever. Uh, I mean, uh, Dwight Earp has got this massive, massive pistol, you know? He's, and it's, it's Doc Holliday's got the, double act, uh, the single actions, and he's banging away, and it's fantastic. Great movie. Oh, the shoot em up. Go, go, go. I know, real life, we don't want people shooting each other. But in, in this movie, it's just fantastic. But the reality is, I would not in a million years want to live in that world. I don't want the idea of somebody shooting me because they think I cheated in cards. 
I mean, you sitting there playing Uno, right? <laughs> Draw four. Bang! <laughs> he cheated. No, 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 no. When I play Uno, I want to make sure all the guns have been checked at the door. Uh, I don't like this idea. I mean, drunken people and guns, bad idea. I mean, this is, this is, and so when you, you watch this movie, and the reason was Tombstone, it was a boom town, and it really was way more chaotic than we give credit for. Wyatt Earp was a big bully. His brothers were bullies. The, the Clantons and McClowries on the other side, they were bullies, and they were really just fighting. It was just a turf fight more than anything else. And, um, and, and, but you get in this situation, you look on the fringe, that's, that's the fringe of civilization. It's where all the craziness happens. It's where the nuts things happen. It's where, where, where things aren't sorted out yet. And see what the Apostle Paul says. He says, when there's no fear and people get out there, you're on the fringe. There are going to be people who are going to preach a false gospel. There are going to be people who are not going to understand. There are going to be people who are going to do it on the, on the wrong way. And the answer to that is what he talks about in verses, verse 9. He says, that you would have that love may abound more and more more with knowledge and discernment see what happens in society is that we expand and we get to the fringe the wild forbidden wilderness now as strange as it may sound at one point new hampshire was the forbidding wilderness and people said oh you have to be a mountain man to live in new hampshire now today, all you need to be is somebody who commutes to Boston. But uh, back in the day, there were bears and mountain lions and poisonous snakes. Now the most dangerous thing in New Hampshire is New Hampshire drivers who, for some reason, can't master the art of taking your phone call at home. Oh, it drives me crazy. I'm like, oh, I'm driving around because I've got my phone to my ear. Buy a headset, would you? I, I can't stand it. Anyway. Um, but, uh, you know, we... We, we look at the frontier and what has to come behind that fringe of chaos and disaster has to be order. It has to be knowledge and discernment. It has to be understanding. We, we can't just, we, we cannot always live out there on that frontier, on that lawless edge. We, we are not born to be sons of anarchy. We are born to be sons of the king of the universe. And that means that we, we are called to bring order into chaos. But the thing that the Apostle Paul could rejoice about was at least Jesus Christ was being named. Because if He's being named, then we can step in and speak truth. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask one of our, our more experienced guys, Lynn. When you got to Japan, in what year? 1957. My dad was five. Greg was too. Um, and uh, you got to Japan in 1957. Were the cults already there? The cults? The witnesses, the Mormons? All right. All, already there. And when the Christians, when a guy like Lynn shows up, you run into somebody who's been exposed to a false image of Jesus Christ. What do you get? What do you do? You speak the gospel. There's nothing else you can do. But the advantage is that Christ has already been named. 
We don't, we don't hate those who preach out of envy or rivalry or the false motivation. I mean, right now, this, this next, next Monday is, or next Sunday is going to be a very depressing time for a whole lot of Christians in America. Now, you, don't, you may not know what, you're ta- what I'm talking about, but go to 2nd Street in Manchester, Main Street in Manchester. There's a giant billboard that says, Judgment Day is coming, May 21st, 6 p.m. Judgment time. Now, if judgment comes at 6.05, we have to synchronize our watches. But there's this whole, this whole thing, and it's, it's, there's a few million people in the country who've spent all their money, and they've invested, and they're going to, Jesus is coming May 21st, judgment is starting, you better be ready, this is, this is the end. And this has happened so many times, even in my lifetime. 88 reasons that Christ is coming in 1988. Harold Camping said Jesus was coming in 1994. When that book sold out in 1994 passed, it was 1996. Now we're out to 2011. Then we're into 2012. Oh, the Mayans know the end of the world. And we made a really terrible movie about it. And, and we, you know, there are all these things. Everybody say, and you know what? That's, that's crazy. But we don't, we don't have to hate those people. We don't have to yell and scream and kick. What we have to do is exactly what Lynn said. We preach the gospel. Because when people have been exposed to the name Jesus Christ, and it's been abused and it's been corrupted, I actually think, and this is just my personal opinion, but I actually think that when the truth about Jesus Christ is presented and lived out before those people, it is more powerful than you could possibly imagine. The Apostle Paul says this, Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me is to live as Christ and to die as gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which, shall, which I shall choose, I cannot tell, because I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, to die, for that is better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or I am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. The Apostle Paul says, whether I live or die, whether I come to you or I stay, the most important thing to me is that Christ is honored. He says that Christ would be honored in my declarations. In verse, in verse 17, says, Christ is proclaimed. He says, honored in my body, whether it's life or death. He says, honored in your fellowship, in your one spirit, and standing firm and striving together in verse 27. And even honored in your suffering. 
Because sin and the evil one and corruption and the spirit of antichrist, which means exactly what it sounds like, things that are opposed to Christ, they will not lay over and die when you walk into a situation. I'm a Christian and I'm here to help. Evil spirits, stand down. I've seen people try to act like that. Like because of their because of who they are, they have power over everything. I'm sorry. The only person that the devils ever tremble before in the scriptures is Jesus Christ. You can't walk into a context and say, by the power of who I am, I am in control. No. The only one who can overcome evil and corruption and sin, the only one who can bring true justice, the only one who can step into a situation and truly be in control is Jesus. And that's why it is necessary that we as followers of Christ, we honor Christ in our bodies if we have to, by our words if we, when we can, but always we honor Him. You know, this is a marked change in the Apostle Paul. Age, we might say, has brought wisdom. Earlier in his life, the Apostle Paul, you can almost see in his rhetoric that he relishes the idea of people being judged. Now, you have to kind of read it, but he talks about, ah, vengeance and justice coming in flames, and he's speaking the truth. But here, he doesn't talk so much about that as he talks about Jesus. He puts Jesus way up here. And he says, look guys, if somebody preaches Jesus and they preach Him wrong, just preach Him right. If somebody using a false image of Jesus, just bring in the true one. You know, don't don't get bogged down with a comparative religion contest. Just preach Jesus. Just speak Jesus. When you suffer Look to Jesus. When you're engaged in conflict, honor Jesus. When you're united with one spirit and one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, you are the church of Jesus Christ. Thankfully, we don't face the opposition the Apostle Paul faced. No time in in the recent past or in the immediate future Will you be imprisoned for being a Christian in the United States of America? We are very fortunate in that respect. and most of the world, that is not true. We have freedom and liberty, just like the Apostle Paul said, because of where I am, the imperial guard has heard about Jesus. Because of what God is doing, there is opportunity for Jesus to step in. But we all live in the fringe. When I worked, and I'll close with this, but when I worked, at, I worked for Putnam Investments back in the 90s when I was in, um, I was in college. I worked full-time through college. Um, I actually worked in excess of 60 hours a week, a lot of time while carrying a full load, and managed to have a 4.0 even though I slept through Psychology and Theology 3. So it helps when your dad has more degrees than a thermometer. Um, but uh, um, we... I was in college and I worked there and, and I spent a lot of time with this one guy named John. Um, and John, was a, to me, he was fascinating. John was a Buddhist Catholic. I was curious about how that worked. 
Um, since, of course, Catholic, you know, Catholic by definition means, you know, people not baptized, they, they go right to hell and are consumed and burned and everything. And, um, and Buddhists kind of, oh, we love everybody. It's cool. You know, I mean, this is this kind of the way of the system. This is, this is the way it works. And so he and I talked about it. And it was the first time I had ever heard of this. And I was probably 19 when I met him. But it was the first time that I had, I had heard um, of somebody who just picked and chose their religion. They just picked and chose which pieces they liked. Um, then I started to realize that Christians do that. We do it all the time. We want a big, burly Jesus. We invent a big, burly Jesus. We want a loving, compassionate Jesus. We invent a loving, compassionate Jesus. We, we want to support a specific doctrine. We basically kind of just shoehorn verses that don't fit into our ideas into it. Kind of a squeeze it in. My infamous, the infamous favorite one. I was in college. Just another illustration where we spent an entire uh, week of class debating whether a Greek word should be translated for or in. Yeah, exactly. I couldn't sleep in that one. I wasn't allowed to. I wanted to. Um, but uh, you know, just all these things. People, they ah, we got to squeeze it. The reality is, hey, look, we lift up the true Jesus. We've got to know who He is. We've got to explore the Scriptures. We've got to live the Gospel. We've got to be uh, everything that Jesus wants us to be. So I can't, I can't be perfect. Jesus never asked us to be perfect. He just asked us to follow Him. And the Gospel will expand into the spaces that it needs to expand into. Because when we lift up Jesus, Jesus said to His disciples... If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. He says, you just honor me, and I will do the work. I will step in, and I will turn you, as crazy as it sounds, into a part of the gospel. Apostle Paul says, don't worry about those who fight. Don't worry about those who are envious and striving and rivalries and I mean, it, I mean, in a sense, he very much defines modern Christianity with envy and rivalry. All of our divisions and mess and disgustingness and everybody condemning everybody else. He just says, honor Christ. And if there is a big idea today, yesterday, or last Sunday's big idea was, hey, in order, God wants a pure and clean vessel so that he can put the fruits of righteousness into it. If there's one big idea this morning, it is this, if you haven't caught it already. Under pressure, honor Christ. No matter what your situation is, no matter where you are, honor Christ. And that, as simple as it sounds, is one of the hardest things we have to do. You know how I know it's the hardest thing we have to do? Because we have to do it all our lives. And that means we're always going to work at it. We're never going to get it. That's why, by the way, the Apostle Paul says, I really wish I could depart and be with Christ. Because that's really all I want. I just want to be with Christ. But I know I'm going to stay for a little while. And I have to honor Him here for a little while longer. Heavenly Father, Truly, we desire to know your Son, Jesus Christ. Truly, we desire to be um, 
to be honest and broken followers of His name. We all face different pressures. Some of the pressures are internal. Sin that works in our lives that that holds us back. Some of the pressures are external. People who wield influence over us. Uh, People who abuse the name of Jesus Christ. But regardless, in all those things, we want to honor Jesus Christ. His is the glory and honor and praise in everything we do that we might honor Him in our bodies and in our speech and in our journeys, in our friendships, in our marriages, in our families, at our workplaces, in our hobbies, in, in our devotions. That we might honor You. We might celebrate You. We pray this in Jesus' name.